Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We'll be reading through verse 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which, he, which of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father God, uh, Lord, we stand before you as a people, Lord, that need your help. We need your help to understand your word. We know that you have promised us the Holy Spirit that will divide the word, Lord, that will reveal the truth to us. Father, we stand before you with uh, some difficult passages here, Lord, and I just ask for your help, Lord, that uh, as I speak, Lord, that things wouldn't be confusing, Lord, things would be crystal clear. Lord, we can come to your word and we can trust your word. Father, knowing that you are doing all things for our good and your glory. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your love and your patience towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. We looked last week through some old catechisms. We looked through some articles and confessions, and they were all dealing with the providence of God. Um, we basically came to the conclusion, looking through those, that divine providence, God's providence, is preserving His creation. His providence is operating in every event in the world, and it's directing all things in the universe to His appointed end. We saw last week how an understanding of God's sovereignty and more in depth His, His divine providence gives us as believers a deeper understanding of Him. A deeper understanding of your Maker, of your Creator, of your Messiah. All that creates is a deeper trust, a deeper love, a deeper praise for His glory. As born-again believers, our main desire and concern must be, should be, to live lives that glorify God. That should be your ultimate purpose. Live lives that glorify God. Scriptures like 1 Corinthians 10.31 say, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Is there missing anything in between there? He says you eat and you drink. So is it just when I eat and drink? No. Or whatever you do. 
from the time you wake up to the time you lay your head down and fall asleep, all things should be for the glory of God. Through the examples we looked at last week in Habakkuk and in the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, we see that God works all things, all things, even evil acts, even evil things. He works them according to the purpose of His will, and He works them for the good of His people. All things. Romans 8, 28 and 29 say, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Conformed to the image of His Son. We see in verse 28, He is saying, everything He does is for the good of His people. Even the evil acts, even the hard times are the good of His people. It doesn't feel too good, right? But when you go to 29, He says, predestined to be conformed. For the good does not mean for the comfort. For the good means for the, the conformity. We are being molded into the image of Christ. And when you look at Christ's life on, here on earth, did anything look comfortable? Did he have the biggest recliner in the biggest living room and everybody just brought things to him? No, no, exact. He didn't even have a place to lay down his head. Nothing about it was comfortable, and yet we are described as being conformed, being molded into his image. As we come to our text today, remember I told you something last week that we were going to look at God's providence in our conversion, in our salvation. What does that look like? And I think if we let Scripture speak, and Scripture alone, we can reach a satisfactory answer to that question. What I would like to ask, anytime you come to the Bible, set your opinion to the side, and just let God speak. You'll come out a whole lot better. These are very, very difficult verses. And you have to ask the reason, why is it important to understand these? How, do, how, how are you converted? How are you saved? Not just the, Jesus died for me, but what did it look like? What was God's plan in the matter? Why does that matter? Because God said it. He told us. He didn't leave us without knowledge. So, we're not going to find out every minute detail, but more more or less the overarching act of what has happened in our lives as born-again believers. How did we, this is, the, this is the biggest question, I don't want you to answer it, how did we who preferred everything but God become a people who treasure Christ? How did we who were a people who wanted everything but God become a people who treasure Christ? In order to understand God's providence and our conversion, we must first have a clear view of how hopeless our condition was before God opened our eyes. Who were we prior to that? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, who are you right now? This answers that question. The only way we can understand it is to go to God's Word. 
And the only way that we're going to really understand it is by the help of His Spirit. Romans 6, starting in verse 16, says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the heart become obedient from the heart to the standard of, of teaching to which you were committed if I can get all that out you were slaves to sin if you are a slave to something you don't have any choices in the matter right you have been bought you are in bondage to sin there's nothing outside of that. That's all you can do. Slavery to sin means you are completely controlled by it. You are obedient to sin. It literally owns you. And you can't release yourself from it. But in verse 17, Paul says, thanks be to God. God alone is the only one who can give us life. Because we are dead in our sin. Correct? According to Ephesians 2.1, you don't have to go there, dead men can't give themselves life. You will never see a dead person raise themselves up from the dead. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. Not in their own power. Because we are completely obedient to sin, we loved the darkness and we hated the light. We loved sin in our dead state. For anybody prior to Christ, when you can look at sin and call it sin, nobody ever said, boy, I just hated my sin back then. No, you loved it. We wouldn't have done it if we didn't like it. The old saying, if you didn't love your sin, if you didn't have fun while you were sinning, you weren't doing it right. Right? John 3, 19. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked Wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that he may be clearly seen, it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Because we loved our sin, we loved the darkness, and we hated the light, we were under the wrath of God. In our text today in Ephesians Verses 3 through 14 kind of carry the full thought. In the Greek, this was actually one sentence. There was no periods in between like we have here. Paul's complete thought was in this one entire sentence. And you can see even, even in our language today, there's just some big sentences here. He had so much to get out that it just come boiling out of him. And we're going to break this apart into two parts today, but we won't make it to the part of the Holy Spirit, which is basically verses 11 
through 14, but I challenge you to study it for yourself. After we get through today, study it for yourself. You're going to see the work. Remember, we're talking about the providence of God in our conversion. You're going to see the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and verses 11 through 14 is the work of the Holy Spirit. All three persons in the Trinity involved. Not just one, all three. And all three are a different tense in when they're involved. You have God in the past, God the Father, the present of God the Son, and then the future events and leading up to God the Spirit. This verses 3 through 14 is basically an outline, or Paul's outline of salvation as a whole. This is how it works. Verses 3 through 6 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. Stop there. This describes the body of believers, the church, in eternity's past. They are formed in eternity's past. Blessed is the word that Paul uses. This is the word in the Greek. It says eulogio. This is where we get eulogy from. Most eulogies are spoken in funerals, and they're praises of the goodness of this person that's laying in the casket, right? Paul starts out with a eulogy. Of course, we know our God is not dead. He starts out with a eulogy because he is praising God for his goodness. Now, Paul could have went through this list to begin with, and then it built up to praise at the end. You normally will see letters that will end in a doxology and nothing but praise, right? Paul can't contain himself here. He believes this so much that all he can do is open with praise. Blessed. Blessed, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Paul reminds us the one who is to be supremely blessed and praised is the supreme blesser himself. That's where all blessings come from. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We know goodness can only come from God because there's no other source of goodness outside of Him. The earth can do, or the world, let's say, can do good things. By what standard? By their own. They can do nice things. But true goodness can only come from God because He is the only one who is good. Amen. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Spiritual is pneumatikos. It's always used in Scripture when referring to the work of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That is our guide. That is our helper. And the extent of these blessings is all that God has already given us. We're not waiting on blessings. We already possess them. We pray for love, 
We pray for peace. We pray for happiness. Even though God has already said he's given us these things. We possess them already. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You already have. You already, ha already have the love of God in you. If you are a born-again believer, you already have the love of God in you. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You already have the peace of God in you. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You already have the happiness from God. You already have the joy from God. This uniqueness of our position in Christ, this is, think of it this way. We are citizens here on this planet, correct? We live here. But we are also citizens of heaven. Ephesians 2.6 says, if I, I'll start back in, in, in 5 because I'll pick up the end. It says, By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is not Paul saying you will be. You are now, positionally. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you are a born-again believer... You possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what Paul is telling us here. Let that sink in. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not the, the heavenly places, the spiritual part, this is not temporal. Heavenly places are e eternal. These are eternal blessings that you possess. And all because of Jesus. So how did we get here? How did we get our citizenship in heaven? Did we have to apply for it and wait for an answer? Did we have to get a green card and wait for an allotted amount of time before you could apply for citizenship? Let's read verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Did he see how good of people we would be? Remember who we were before. Slaves to sin, lovers of darkness, haters of God. He saw nothing in us that would grant us citizenship in heaven. And even if that were a possibility, which is not, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Before the fall of man, before the earth and the garden was even made, that man sinned in, God chose a people for Himself that would spend eternity with Him in heaven. Did you see that? For all who think that man eating of the tree was a big surprise to God, that kills all that. Why would He need to choose a people if He thought for one minute that Adam and Eve were going to be perfect? He wouldn't. God could have looked through the corridors of time to see if a decision would be made to follow Him 
to love Him, to praise Him above all things. But He wouldn't find anyone. Nobody. Remember, we're haters of God by nature. He would only find people who followed their own desires, who loved themselves above everything else, and did everything for their own glory, not His. The word chose. I'm going to go a little bit nerdy on you here, but I think it's very important that you understand the Greek language had so many, so many voices. That's one thing. The verbs meant certain things. The order meant certain things. If it, if it was masculine or feminine, and the, there's so many different ways. And when you get to the root of this, I want you to see it. The word chose is a klego. It's in the aorist tense. And what that means is it conveys a single, discrete action. And there's three voices in the Greek language. There is active, there is middle, and there is passive. Eklego is used here in the middle voice, which means the subject, God, is both the agent of action, choosing, chose, that's the action, and is concerned with the action. He is directly involved in Him alone. Wrap it all up to say it was God's total independent choice. There's nothing He could find in any of us that would say, you're good enough to come spend eternity with me. If you're a Christian, you're no better than the person who is an atheist right now. He didn't see anything in you at all. The verb is what is also refer, referred to as reflexive, which means that it signifies God not only chose by Himself, He chose for Himself. His primary purpose for choosing a people for Himself is find, found in verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. It's found in verse 12, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And it's also found in verse 14, to the praise of His glory. Why did He choose a people for Himself? For His glory alone. That's it. Now, I am not going to stand here and pretend that I know the complete knowledge of God. I'm only reading what Scripture says. I'm not going to pretend that I know, uh, have complete knowledge on God's sovereign of election, of who He's going to choose and not going to choose. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I completely understand man's responsibility and how it lines up. At what point does it become that way? But the Bible is very, very clear that no one receives Jesus Christ as Savior that has not been chosen by God. Romans 9.11 Though they were not born, this is talking about the two sons, Esau and Jacob, right? Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of the works, but because of Him who calls. He chose one and not the other. He chose one and not... These were brothers, right? Why didn't he choose them both? I don't know. I don't know. But he chose one over the other. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4. 
Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. In 1 Peter 1-2, According to the foreknowledge of, the God, of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The foreknowledge. He chose before. Not, He looked to see if you would choose, then said they will be. We can't choose. We can't choose. You will never choose God apart from God allowing you to. That is so hard to understand. It is so hard to wrap your mind around. And no, I don't completely understand it. It's one of those verses that you come to and you say, God says, I believe it. I don't understand it, but I believe it. This is the point where some people might be sitting there and think, this brother's done dug himself into a hole. I know, I know. This is, this is the subject, the one subject that has split more denominations, probably friendships. And if you get too dogmatic either one way or the other, you're wrong. But hear me out. Hear me out completely. Because if you just hear one piece, you'll leave here and talk about me behind my back maybe. Man's free will is not free apart from God's knowledge like some think. We aren't doing anything outside Him knowing beforehand. That's what I'm saying. God is an all-knowing God because if He's not, He's not God. I'm not saying that you don't have a choice between right and wrong and you will pick wrong, but you will never pick wrong outside God knowing beforehand. Scripture clearly recognized that man does have a will. I'm not telling you that man has no will, but he does not have a will free from God. Like God didn't know. He didn't know I was going to drop that ink pen at that time, right? He knew. We're limiting God when we say he doesn't know. Now, man does have a will. But man's will is captive to sin. We are only able to choose God because He has made the choice possible. Do you understand that? He has made the choice possible. John 3, 8. The wind blows where it will. This is, this is the conversation between Jesus and uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus has just, Jesus has just told him that you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus has said, how can somebody be born again? Do I have to climb back in my mother's womb? And he said, no, 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 I expect, you to, to, I expect at least you to understand things that are, that are spiritual. But he's not. And he's telling him, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can you explain the same message 
preached to the same people in the same condition, and they can all see their condition, but they're not all saved at the same time. You hear the same message. How is it turned off? How are the ears turned off? How is the mind to the heart turned off? It's not them. You're not the one turning it on. You're not the one coming to God going, I really need to know you, God. You hate God. If you are apart from Him, you hate Him. You hate His Word. Because you know why? You're slave to sin. You didn't sell yourself into that slavery. You were born there. Since the wind blows where it will, I mean, how many of you can, can point out without seeing a tree move and say, here goes the wind, and what, when does it end? I don't know where it comes from. I mean, we've had some windy days here lately, right? When it stops blowing, I don't know when it's coming until I feel it. It's the same way. He's explaining the same way those who are born of the Spirit don't know where it comes from. I don't know where it's headed, but I see where it's been. At the same time, there are many commands for unsaved people to respond to the Lord. Don't miss that either. Joshua 24, 15 says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God, gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's telling them, make a choice. And God's saying, they can't make a choice unless I, I allow the choice to be made. Man will always choose sin over God. Matthew 3, 1 through 2 says, In those days, John the Baptist, John the Baptist came preaching. Remember, there's 400 years of silence. They haven't heard from God in over 400 years. And here this man steps out of the wilderness and he is preaching in, uh, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and his message is, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. How can he tell them to repent when they can't do it by themselves? Chapter 4 Verse 17 in Matthew, from that time, Jesus, now here's Jesus, began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How can you tell people to repent, people to make a choice, people to be born again that cannot do it themselves? How is that possible? It is only possible because the call to repent, the call to make the choice only comes by the power of God. Why is it that when, when Scripture says they can only be saved, they can only have an understanding when they hear the Word of God preached? Nobody is going to be saved outside of that. Not verbatim, but if you don't give them the full gospel, they're not saved. They, don't understand, they can't see, right? They can't see themselves who they are. If you just say, you need a Savior. Okay, well, how do I do that? No, that's not good enough. God said His Word is where the power is. When you stand before God's people and you proclaim God's Word, how does change come? 
not because of how loud I get or how loud Kevin get, gets. It's because this stuff is convicting. Because it sees the parts of me that I can't see. But he knows every single detail. Since we have both truths here, because they are both taught in Scripture, we've seen that, right? Man has a responsibility. And God has a will. We believe them both. And we leave the details to God. Leaning too hard one way or the other is damaging to our walk. It's damaging to other people's walk. If it's all God and none of my responsibility whatsoever, why do I even preach the gospel? Why do I even pray that my family members and friends come to know Jesus? Because they're going to make it in somehow or the other anyway, because He's chosen them, right? But yet you have commands like preach the gospel to all nations, not try to figure out who the elect are. Try to figure out who I chose. You preach it to everybody. It's not up to you. I don't see where the wind is going. At the same time, if it's all man's choice, we have something to boast about. And we'll doubt our every decision. I leave the house and wonder if I even put the garbage where it was supposed to go. You honestly think that I want to make the decision? I, I think I want to make the decision to choose God and it was all me? I'll, I'll question that the rest of my life. Did I really make the decision? Did I make it right? Did I say it in the right way? It's not our choice. But we still have a responsibility. Scripture clearly handles both of these situations of thinking that it's all man or just being lazy in your faith because you think God's going to do it all for you. And both are wrong views. Some things are crystal clear and other things are just mysteries of God that we cannot comprehend in our fallen state. Here's an example. Who lives your Christian life? Is it you or is it the Holy Spirit? You got to be careful. Because if it's godly, do I want to say it's all me or is it the Spirit? And then when I'm disobedient, is that all me? The writers of the Bible were men, but all the words of God. All of Paul's style, but all of God's words. Jesus was fully God and fully man. When you think about these things and try to make them make sense, your head will nearly explode. Some things we just leave to the mind of God because His mind infinitely surpasses ours. So in the past, God chose a people for Himself before the first word of creation was ever spoke. And He blessed that group with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He chose us in Christ so that we would be holy and blameless. He chose us to be holy and blameless. Haters of God. We hated the light. And He chose us to be holy and blameless. And the only way that, we're, that we get to that point is all because of Christ. This is the great exchange, right? This is taking our sin, everything we deserve, and putting it on Christ. 
and taking everything about Christ, His righteousness, His holiness, His blamelessness, and putting it on us. He chose us in Christ so that we would be holy and blameless. That means to say outside of Christ we are unholy and guilty. Verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself. Before that it says, In love. In love. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. What is that love? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even when we were dead in our trespasses before the foundations of the world your name was wrote down. Not a, just a people group. Your name was wrote down if you were a born-again believer. When, when you come to grips with things like that, because it's easy, it's so easy to just read it, but when you have this overwhelmingness, when you really see who you are, and you read what God has done for you, It'll bring you to tears. At what point did we deserve any of this? And why did he do it? Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Why? Why did he love us with that love? Why did he pour out his, his spiritual blessings, his eternal blessings? Why did he send His Son to the cross, cross for our sins to the praise of His glorious grace. That was the work of God the Father in the past. This is Him working His providence in our conversion, right? You see it. He chose us. He chose us for His grace, for His glorious grace. And moving into the present, and the work of God the Son working His providence over our salvation. Verse 6, the second half of it. With which He has blessed us in the Beloved. The Beloved is Jesus. By His grace and for His glory alone, He has what? In Him we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself through Jesus. By His grace and for His glory alone, He has adopted us as sons and daughters, and He has freely bestowed on us literally everything He has to offer. All spiritual blessings. Here, redemption was used to refer to paying a ransom to release a person from bondage. Here it's talking about releasing a person from slavery. 
A slave cannot set themselves free. And there was nothing in you or me that said they're good enough to be saved. All for His praise, all for His glory. To sum up all these verses of what we already know, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has chosen us in Christ before the foundations were ever laid. He has made us holy and blameless. He has predestined us to adoption as His children. You're not just His slaves, His servants. You are His children. The adopted child has the same exact rights as the blood child. And He has redeemed us through His blood. He has set us free from the bondage and lavishly granted us forgiveness, wisdom, and knowledge according to the infinite riches of His grace. When you see the fullness of what God has done for us, when you see it, when you see the truth of who you were apart from Him, you see this overarching providence of God in saving and sanctifying His people, and then you look back through the years of your own life, right? And you see how God has directed your path. It hasn't been easy, has it? But you can see God at work in your life, in your sanctification. You can see, most of us can probably put a, a spot on, 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 a, on a map here of at least a general idea of what happened when God opened our eyes, right? I can almost tell you the exact time. I can tell you the pictures hanging in the hospital room when God opened my eyes. I can tell you how scared to death I was when I cried out to Him, but when He answered, of how this relief came that the God that I wondered was there said, I'm here. Yes. That feeling, whenever He decided to open my eyes, yes. I remember every bit of it. Now I know that before the foundation was ever laid, He allowed me to even make that choice. Yes. To think that I was even on His mind. That is mind-blowing. And to look at myself and go, you deserve death. Mm. When you look back at, at all these things, all you can do is praise. All you can do is praise. There's, <laughs> there's nothing you can do outside of praise. God said He did it all for His glory before creation, through creation, and after it, after all of it's all uncreated, because Revelations tells us that's coming too. And there's a new heaven and a new earth, and we are there with Him. It will always be for His glory, in His glory alone. I hope this has answered your question, and like I say, I challenge you to go even further. Because you're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is involved in our daily lives when you really get to the meat of this. And you're going to see how God sent this Holy Spirit because He knew you couldn't do it on your own. 
He sent this Holy Spirit because this is how we understand God's Word. You want to know how 10 years, 15 years ago or before you were a Christian, how you could come to God's Word and go, none of that makes any sense whatsoever. It's not because you went to Bible school and now you've came back. It's because now the Holy Spirit can reveal it to you. That's only a divine thing that I can read Scripture and understand what it actually says. And I now have the power to live it out. I challenge you to do that. I'd like to call the, the worship group back up. And like I say, I'm, I'm ending a little bit early because I, I know what time. I don't want y'all eating cold hamburgers, but at the same time, I want y'all to really understand this is what has been done for born-again believers.